page 1598, if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you. Let us hear from God's word, our only authority in faith and in life. Please give your attention as it is read. Luke 5, verses 12 through 16. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. The grass withers, the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Amen. What would it be like to constantly have to be working? No rest, no meal breaks, no sleep. Most of us probably can know that no one would last very long in a scenario like this. We all have extreme limitations on how far and how long we can go on working before we need to take a break, before we need to rest, get something to eat, get some sleep, clear our minds. Everyone's job acknowledges this in some way. Soldiers, dancers, athletes, doctors, teachers, students, all have their days structured around the idea that they can only go for so long, that they must rest, recharge, refocus, recuperate. As we think about this spiritually, something about the world should probably trouble us. For in the hustled, fast-paced rhythms of the world, many of us have become unable to truly enter into rest. We're constantly connected, constantly engaged with something, with very little time for reflection, very little time for us to achieve any measure of thankfulness because of our inability to stop and to think and to ponder. This is especially true when it comes to the care of our souls. In a materialized and a politicized world on the surface, we can often be convinced that there's very little reason to invest any time in caring for our souls. There's no point in spiritual rest or thinking about spiritual health. And yet, so often in the church, we hear cries for uh, making a difference, that this is what the church should do, or the church ought to be countercultural. These two things are important. I think they're very true. But if we think about it, Jesus was extremely countercultural, wasn't he? But we see in this passage that even he could not just go, go, go. He needed to rely on communion with his Father and the Holy Spirit in order to finish the work that he had been sent to do. In short, we need to take time to realize that we all need healing that we all need rest, that we all need communion with God. And that takes time. 
That takes intentionality on our parts. If we reject our call to do that, if we refuse in the midst of this world that often pulls us away from it, we will miss something very important. We will miss the healing Savior. We will miss the cleansing, the health, and the nourishment that Christ gives to his people that he provides for us. And so we take time today, brothers and sisters, to pause, to remember our Savior, our healer, our advocate, our redeemer, and to learn something about ourselves as we look to him and how he approached his life on earth. As we look at this passage together briefly, we see first that Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. In these first few verses, Jesus continues his itinerant preaching and teaching ministry. Luke has a special interest, remember, in showing how Jesus fulfills the prophecies of Isaiah 61. And he has been showing through all of these stories that Jesus is the one who fulfills this word that was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. And all of the aspects of his healing, all of his proclamation, all of his miracles are working together to show us that he is a savior which will bring, who will bring an ultimate healing to God's people. Not just restoration of their earthly bodies, but he will bring liberty to the captives who are in bondage of their sin. So Jesus enters an unnamed city, and we see immediately that there is a problem. There is someone with leprosy. It says he is covered with leprosy or filled with leprosy, and he is in the town. This is a problem because at this time in Israel, those with leprosy were not supposed to be in the town. They were supposed to stay outside of the borders and keep their distance from people. Leprosy here in the Gospel of Luke is, is probably not what we think of in the modern day as leprosy. It probably wasn't Hansen's disease. It was rather um, a scaly skin disease that resulted in very dry, flaky, and rashy skin. It would be more like psoriasis or favus rather than Hansen's disease. Thus, people who had rashes like this had to be kept out of the towns in Israel because they were ritually unclean. Ritually unclean before God. We get uh, a little peek into this reality in Numbers chapter 12. Numbers 12. Moses' sister Miriam was angry with Moses in Numbers chapter 12 because he had married a Cushite woman. So she calls into question the fact that her brother is the one who's speaking the words of God to God's people. Why do we need to listen to Moses? Why is he the one who speaks the words of God? And in effect, what Miriam does is she not only questions Moses and the authority that he has been given, but she questions God. Why have you put this man in charge? She accuses Moses and functionally questions and accuses God as well. But the problem is that if God wants to replace Moses, he will do so. It was not Miriam's job or anyone else's job to question God on this matter. Thus, God struck Miriam with a scaly skin disease, what Luke would call leprosy. Why? She's given this by God because she has committed a sacrilege. She has approached God without reverence, without care of his holiness. Thus, Miriam is forced to stay outside the camp of the Israelites for seven days. So in Israel, this kind of skin disease 
became associated with the curse of God. It was not so much a physical problem as it was a spiritual and a covenantal one. People with this kind of leprosy were shown to be under God's curse. And they were unable to go into the temple. They were unable to approach God in worship. What would it mean if you were in Israel, you were unable to participate in the worshiping life of the community? It meant that you were as good as dead. Because you were completely cut off from the spiritual life of God's people, from the covenant that God made and sustained with his people. You could not have your sins atoned for in any sense. Therefore, uh, you were considered as good as dead. And to be healed of a disease like this was up to God alone. And it was considered like being raised from the dead. We read in 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman the Syrian has this kind of uh, flaky, rashy, scaly skin disease. And he comes into Israel and he's looking for the prophet of God. He's looking for Elisha. And he wants to be healed of his leprosy. And the king of Israel gets word that this is what Naaman wants. And he says this, Am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of leprosy? To be, to be cured of leprosy was like to be brought back from the dead. When this man approaches Jesus then, it ought to shock us. We ought to be shocked. Not only is he breaking the rules and he's where he shouldn't be, he feels He feels free enough to approach someone like Jesus and to speak his mind. He is someplace that he should not be. What is telling to us is how this man addresses Jesus. We remember last week, right, when Peter saw this miracle of Jesus giving him this great catch of fish. And and Peter goes from calling Jesus master to calling him Lord. We see in this passage before us this morning... That this man begins by acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. He is no mere man. He can do things that no mere man can do. So we think of this passage from 2 Kings where the king of Israel says, I am not God. I cannot uh, kill and bring back to life. I cannot cure of leprosy. But it is God who can heal. It is God who can cleanse. We see that this man is not thinking in terms of physical healing, the man who comes to Jesus, but of spiritual cleansing. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He knows that in Jesus, he has found the Lord. He knows that in Jesus, he has found the one who is able to cleanse, who is able to bring liberty to the captives, to set free those who are imprisoned with their iniquities and their Infirmities. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is not only Lord, but he is willing. He is willing. Jesus responds to the request of this man by saying, I am willing, be clean. Jesus does here a work that is humanly impossible. He does the work of God in the life of this man. He brings him back to life out of his ritual and his spiritual death. By a mere word, he not only is is able to make the cells and the atoms of this man's body begin to function correctly again, but he is able to tell him that he is no longer under the curse of God. Jesus does not have to do this. He is not compelled to do this. And anyone who would have witnessed this event would have been shocked. Nothing is going as you would as you would have expected. A man who was 
infected with leprosy like this was supposed to yell, if anyone came close to him, was supposed to yell, unclean, unclean. But he doesn't do that. He comes to Jesus and he requests that Jesus cleanse him. And Jesus does. What is most shocking about what our Savior does in this passage is at the beginning of verse 13, where we read this. He, Jesus, reached out and touched the man. He touched the man. Why? Why should we be so surprised by this? We should be because someone who is ritually unclean at that time, if they touch someone else or something else, that person or that thing which they touch is made unclean. The uncleanness spreads. Now Jesus is not made unclean in any way that a normal person is. He is without spot and he is without stain in his life. And yet there is something to this passage, something about what happens right here that shows us that Jesus is taking infirmity and iniquity and uncleanness upon himself and bearing it in his body. It's important that we understand that Jesus doesn't just zap away his uncleanness and it just disappears forever. Jesus touches the man, he brings the uncleanness upon himself, and he bears it upon himself in his body. It will not be zapped away. This uncleanness will have to be suffered away at Calvary. Jesus heals this man's sickness. He heals the curse of all of sin by suffering and carrying that burden himself. You know, if if a doctor... To enter his work had to realize that every time he treated a patient, he would contract the sicknesses of his patients. We would not see very many doctors, would we? It would not be a good line of work to enter. Uh, You get to try to to heal people, but you're always going to contract what your patients have. You would not see very many doctors. But Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the physician who takes on the infirmities, the iniquities, the sicknesses of his own so that he might cleanse them. It would only happen if Jesus bore it for us. And that is what he does as the divine healer. He cannot just zap it away. He touches the man. He does not become ritually unclean in the same way that a human being would, but He takes it upon himself and he bears it. And that is what he does as the great physician, as the divine healer. Jesus is not only Lord, he not only is willing, but we see finally that he prays. He prays. Jesus does not want the news about him to spread, but because he keeps doing things like this, word of mouth clearly is going. And there are crowds that are following him. And Jesus can't get away from the crowds without effort. And so in order to combat all of this constant attention, all of these crowds that follow him, Jesus withdraws to pray. He would go to lonely places to do this as we read. The, the word here is actually wilderness or desert for lonely places. It's not necessarily that Luke is trying to communicate to us any sort of theological truth behind using the word uh, wilderness or desert but just that Jesus was so determined to withdraw and to spend time in prayer that he was willing to go to great lengths to do that. He would withdraw, be intentional, and pray and spend time with his Father. 
We ought to notice this about Jesus. We ought to use this as an example for our own lives. We don't fulfill the work of Jesus. We do not add anything to the work of Jesus. But just as we learned in the temptation story, there are things about Jesus' life that teach us how we ought to live on this earth. What is Jesus doing as he withdraws to pray? He is communing with his Father. He is gaining strength to uphold his life of obedience by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus did not have a sinful nature. Jesus was not fallen. He was upheld by his divinity, and yet he knew that he needed to take this time. And so it becomes fairly obvious that we need to be convinced that we ought to do so as well. We live in a secular age, and we think that so often we think that we can survive on our own. Do we think that we can practice and learn humility on our own when we are bombarded every day with a world of pride? Can we learn to love God above ourselves each day when we are bombarded with a world that loves the self above God? And this brings us to the reasons why we are here this morning. Why we are gathering around the table of Jesus. For he tells us to come. He tells his people to come, to stay a while, and to rest. To withdraw and to pray. God assures us that at the table, the spirit works and is active in our hearts. That's why we do it. Jesus has commanded us to do it because we know that there we will receive a blessing. That there the spirit works and is active in our hearts. Forming Christian virtue. Increasing our faith. Giving us the ability to look to Christ with fresh eyes. It is here that the spirit beckons us to love God above the self. To live in gratitude rather than greed. To courageously walk through this life knowing that we have eternal life laid up for us in heaven. To know that one day we will sit at God's banqueting table at the marriage feast of the Lamb. That is what is going on when we come to the table. We live, yes, in a secular age. But the light of Christ can shine brightest when it is darkest. But in order for our our light to shine so bright, we need this time. We need times like this. We need a regular oasis in the world of sin that we see around us. Jesus retreated to pray. We need to retreat to pray. Jesus retreated to commune with God. We need to retreat to commune with God. It is in doing this that The fuel of our lamps is refilled. That we might shine all the brighter as God forms Christ in us. The Christian life is not just the initial event of forgiveness, though that is certainly a foundational part. The Christian life is also about realizing more and more that at Calvary, what Christ purchased for us is not just that initial forgiveness, but an ongoing blessing of spiritual vitality. Of the process of making us holy. That is what was finished for us at Calvary. That is what Christ does for us at the cross. An army full of soldiers that never eats. Is an army that can never win in battle. 
But the army of the Lord, ever doing battle with the principalities and the powers of this age, finds here at the table of Christ a meal that has been made for us. But it's not a drive through It's not fast food. It's something that we need to take time and intentionally come to find at the rivers of life God's sustaining and life-giving grace. That's what we find at the table. That's what we see in the life of our Savior. Jesus knew that he needed to take time to commune with God. We should be convinced of the same. And when we come to the table, we find this Savior who is Lord, who is willing to heal, who reaches out, and he can touch a person who is unclean, under God's curse, takes it upon himself, the body broken for us, the blood that was shed for us. So come, dear pilgrim. Come to the rivers of life. Be refreshed, be renewed, and be restored. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the table now, guide our hearts, focus the eyes of faith upon Christ and what he has done for us. May we proclaim his death here and now. In his name we pray. Amen. You can go to the form that's found in our bulletins.